Good morning, family. It's uh, such, such a beautiful, wonderful privilege to be together in this time particularly. We are really in a rich time in Hatfield in just how people are responding in so many different ways and becoming part of and volunteering in different spaces. And one of the, the, the new spaces of volunteering that we have is this ministry team that now that prayed before I got to pray for them. So none of the prayers before now actually counted. You've got to come back after the service. Now I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm really teasing. But uh, we had an overwhelming response of people that volunteered to say they would love to be part of a team that prays for people after our morning services. And they've been through some training. And we now have about 70 people that have come into a team that will minister for you to you after the service. So as Ben said, can I ask you to move swiftly and quickly to come to the front? And uh, we just want to recognize you and pray for you. How you will recognize them on a Sunday is if you come forward for prayer, they will be wearing these little lanyards. The blue lanyard is the teams that are equipped and trained and have our backing and support, and they will be able to pray for you. Now, some of you have to come stand in the front here. No, don't be all hidden and shy. People have to see you. And uh, this is for both our morning and evening services, that these teams are equipped and ready to pray. So if you come to a morning or evening services, um, you will see some of them there, and they would be really ready and willing to pray for you. But before they get to pray for you, it's your turn, turn to pray for them and for us to bless them. So won't you again stretch out your hands and let's just pray for them and bless them. Father, we thank you for gifts that you give to us as a community. People that desire to serve, to make a difference, that desire to be there for people in times of need and to, that has the faith and the trust and the knowledge of your word to be able to assist people in prayer and in ministry, Father. And we thank you for each of these people, Lord. We, we speak your favor upon them. We speak your anointing upon each of them for this task of praying and ministering to people here in our services both morning and evening. And we thank you that each of them will experience your spirit really close to them, that they will hear your voice, that they will discern your heart for your people, that they will exude the love of God to this community and beyond, Lord. And we thank you for each of them. We bless them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody together said, Amen. Amen. You're welcome to take your seats. Thank you very much. Well, I think... You are mostly aware that there's this thing going around the world now called the coronavirus, and it's having an effect in every place in the world. And I just wanted to share with you our hearts and perhaps our response as, as the church and our leadership, uh, how we feel about this time and how we should respond in this time. And I think it's really important that we respond appropriately in various different ways. But before I share with you our response, I think our response should always be based on the word of the Lord and our faith. And therefore, one of the scriptures that I think is helpful for us to remind ourselves of is Psalm 91. And I want to read with you from verse 1, just a couple of verses. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor, a, nor the arrow that flies in the day. 
Do not dread the disease that stalks in darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. Amen? Amen. 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 The Lord is our shelter. The Lord is our place of protection. As Hatfielders, we don't want to be guided by fear or anxiety, but we want to be led by the Spirit of God in wisdom as we continue to be a community on a mission that makes disciples. Last year, the Lord spoke to us so clearly, and He said to us as Hatfield, Arise, shine, for your light has come, for the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Is it possible that He said it to us because He knew that this was coming? This is a time for the church to arise and to shine. It is not a time for us to shrink back. It's not a time for us to disengage. It's not a time for us to get isolated and withdraw. It is a time for us to, with wisdom and with good reason and with good application, to step forward and engage more with this world and the people of this world. So I'm going to encourage you that as long as it is sensible, we will still continue to gather in our large gatherings and any type of gathering that we have. We are not going to stop our gathering. We will continue to monitor the situation. If it becomes a, a declaration from our government that in order to just slow down because they need to have space and time to capture you know, things and deal with things and therefore they ask us to, to stop meeting together in big groups, then we will consider that and we will appro respond appropriately. But we will communicate to you clearly if anything changes. But for now we are gathering together and it's a privilege to gather together. And may we gather together. If we need to make ch changes, we are already putting contingency plans in place. And we will communicate to you about how we will continue to engage with each other, even if it is not in buildings or times that we meet together. I want to ask that you continue with your community groups. That community groups is a vital place at this time to keep us together. That we do not isolate ourselves. Do not let the enemy cause you to be isolated from your brothers and sisters, but stay connected with each other. Stay caring for each other. Pray for each other. Look after each other. If, if, you have to, if you're picking up that you have the, the, the symptoms or the, the necessary issues, then, then you go to your doctor and you go and you know, check yourself out. And if you have to be placed under self-quarantine or quarantine officially, then communicate with each other. Let your community group people know. Let your friends in the church know. Let your pastor, your shepherd, your community group leader know so that we can be aware of it. We can pray for you. We can stand with you. We can make sure that your needs are met. We want to be together in this. It's also a great time for us to, to just look after our neighbors because many of our, your neighbors do not have community like this. And it's a time for you to perhaps reach out to them and to say, how are you doing? Can I, can I share my toilet paper with you? Can I share my, my, my hand sanitizers with you? You know, go get some extra and share it and, and, and find a way to connect with other people and let them experience the beauty and the wonder of a community of faith that we want to be together. So if anything changes, we will be communicating with you, but we want to continue our work of discipleship and even ramp up our care of people and how we will look after each other. So if something changes, we will communicate to you through emails. For those of you that are members that are on our database, we will send you emails, or we will communicate also through our social media platforms if anything changes then you just watch that. But until we communicate anything, or if we ever communicate anything different, come together, let's gather and spend our time together. When we gather, we do think it is wise that we just observe some social distance and spaces as is appropriate. 
So what we've done is we've got this new anointing oil that we're going to be using as we pray for people. It looks something like this, special, special oil. And from now on, when we anoint you to pray for you, we're going to anoint you on the hands, not on the forehead necessarily. And, um, you know, we, it's good for us to practice and we are acquiring and getting, making sure that we have more than enough uh, hand sanitizers and things all over our facilities, that the surfaces in every area keeps clean and with the children's church that we, that we teach them about this also and how to respond in this time. And we make sure from our side that this is a good and safe environment. And it may be necessary for us to, as a church, just adapt. I know this morning already it was quite odd when I was greeting people. Do I shake hands? Do I shake elbows? Do I kick? Do I just Bluetooth them a hello? What do I do? And, and I mean, we're a huggy bunch and I know it's difficult. So, so will we respect each other's social distance and, and private space? Because it's not only about how I'm feeling, it's also about the other person. And I may have a strong immune system, but they may not be so strong at this point in time. So, so without being weird and funny, you know, show as much love as you can to each other with, with minimal physical contact. Can we, can we do that? And um, just, just be sensible about it. And, uh, you know, if you feel sick, don't, don't come into public spaces first before you haven't had yourself checked out. And please, can we limit coughing and sneezing? And if you do... Cough in your sleeve, but then don't bump somebody's elbow if you've coughed in your sleeve. That sort of doesn't really help. And, but as a church, we, this is a great time to arise, shine. It's not a time for our light to be put under a bushel. It is a time to be the salt and the light, to stand and to proclaim our faith in the Lord Jesus and that the kingdom is not closed for business. The kingdom is going on and that though the things of this world may be shaken, we serve an unshakable God. Amen? Amen. So we want to be wise, but we want to push forward in faith. So can I ask you, let's stand together and pray together this morning for our city, for our nation, for the world. And um, because I think the, the challenge is the virus is one thing, the, the coronavirus and having to deal with that. But the, the thing that seems to be transmitting more at this point in time is fear. And can we pray that sense will prevail also. Father, we thank you that you are our safe place. You are our hiding place. Thank you for opportunities like this to come into an atmosphere of faith, an atmosphere of reality where we can come together to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we value this, Lord. And this is a key proclamation to our world in this time that we believe in God and we believe in his kingdom and in community, Lord. And I pray for us that we, would, that we would shine, not only as a community, as in our gathered space, but that every one of us in our scattered spaces will bring hope to our communities, Lord. Empower us to be people not filled with fear, that doesn't share the gossip stories, but that are committed to truth and to what's really going on. So, Lord, that we can stop the scourge of fear that is rampaging throughout the world, the pandemic of fear, that we will also take hold of that, Father. We pray for our nation. We thank you for our government. We thank you for our healthcare workers, Lord. And we thank you for wisdom in them. And I pray, Lord, that they would react appropriately, responsibly, and, and quickly, Lord, as needed. But we pray, Father, that your hand will be upon our nation, upon our city, upon this community, Father. We trust you for your healing hand.
and that the kingdom of God will not take a step backwards during this time. We will not lose momentum, but we will gain momentum. We will move forward, and we will see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven right here in 2020. And we thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 So, welcome to take your seats. So, if anybody coughs near to you, you're welcome to come and use my miracle oil and just... You know, pray for them or anything. Hide that away. That's not important. I want to share with you a, a, a message that I've entitled "One and All," and uh, in in this in this love revolution that we're talking about. And Herman was commenting this morning that we need a love revolution right now in this world. We need a love revolution. We need to know the love of God and how do we respond to the love of God. And, in order to talk about this, I want to take you to a scripture that I've mentioned many various times over the last couple of months, in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5. And if you've been around here, you'll know I've spoken about it's what we call the Shema in the Jewish faith. This prayer in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 5, is the cornerstone, it's the beginning part of that prayer that every Jewish man prays morning and evening. When they wake up and before they go to bed, they've prayed this prayer for thousands of years, and the prayer begins with these words in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your might, with all your soul, Oh, sorry, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Jesus reiterated this prayer. He, he repeated it when, he, when somebody asked him, what is the, the law? He said, this is the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is a cornerstone of our faith. This is what it means to be a Christian, is to do this, to be a believer in who God is. But I want to draw your attention to two components of this portion of Scripture. As we read it, it says, Hear, O Israel, and we can say today, Hear, O believer, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Will you repeat after me that word, one? One. Do you notice that word, one, which speaks of unity? And I'll unpack that word a little bit now, what it means. But then it carries on and we read, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Can you repeat after me? All. all. One. Okay, I didn't say that clearly. I'm sorry. It's bad communication. Will you repeat after me? One. one. All. all. Do you recognize in this scripture with me today, there's a point of unity and there's a point of diversity. There's a point where it is singular and there's a point that is plural. When, it, when we talk about God, we talk about unity. We talk about oneness. What does that word one mean in the scripture? The Lord our God is one. The word as we understand it means this. That God is one in himself. Completely self-contained. Completely within himself. A complete unit that does not need anything outside of himself to exist. God does not learn. God does not grow. God does not come to new knowledge. God does because God is complete. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. God is the top of the tree. He is one. That's why when Moses met God at the burning bush, he said, Lord, who are you? And the Lord, what was the Lord's answer? How many remember what the Lord said when he described himself to Moses or introduced himself to Moses? He said those two little words, I am. 
Because it's hard if you're God to describe yourself to somebody else. Because whenever you and I get introduced to somebody, whenever I have to describe myself or tell you about who I am, I have to use references to other people to describe who I am. If I tell you my name is Louis, how many of you know I didn't give that name to myself? My mom and dad chose that name. As far as I know, it's on my, a family name on my dad's side. It tells you something about me in reference to my parents. If I tell you my surname, which is actually, if you pronounce it perfectly correctly in the Afrikaans way, Kotsia, because we have a little stripe on the E. I'm not too perturbed about that, but my dad was really proud about that little stripe. Evidently, that made us a better type of person than the Kotsis. We were the Kotsias. I don't know what that means. So any Kotsis, I'm so sorry. That's what my dad told us. But it's in reference to my forebears. If I tell you I'm a pastor, even that, if I'm trying to describe myself, is relationship to somebody else. Now imagine if you're God. You're God and you have to introduce yourself. You cannot reference somebody else that gives you definition because you give everything else definition. That's why God said, I am. He could only introduce himself by himself and describe himself by himself. He is God. He's one. And it's also important for us to remember that God is one. We, we are a monotheistic faith. We don't have many gods. We have one God. But now you will say to me, hang on, hang on. Don't we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yes, and that's where the doctrine of the Trinity comes in. Which, can I own up to that this morning? Can I just really tell you the truth as a pastor? None of us understand that exactly. We have over thousands of years of thinking and studying and applying and scholarly work and, and councils and discussions and illustrations that people have put, we have not come to a complete understanding of how the Trinity works. And if anybody tells you they know how the Trinity works, spray them with some anointing oil and bless them. Because <laughs> we don't know. Because there's nothing else like it on earth. We, we haven't seen another Trinity. God is one. One in essence, three in persons is one of the ways we describe it. But we don't quite know how that works. That there's not Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's one God. When you pray, you pray to one God. You're not praying to three gods. And that's very important for us. And I'll unpack that just now why that's important. But that's all that is contained in the word one. When you pray, you pray to one God. I, I remember when, when, uh, when I was younger, when we'd wake up in the morning and my, my parents would always consult the weather. To determine what their day's gonna be like, they would always look at the weather. You know? Either it would be on the newspaper or somewhere, or they'd look on television, you know, SABC Morning Live or whatever, and uh, from 1975 when we had television, they would, they would consult, okay, how do we have to respond today because we have to know what the weather tells us. Nowadays, it feels like we have to consult the weather, the load shedding schedule, the coronavirus count, the rand exchange rate, the traffic. You have to consult all these different things to figure out how am I gonna do my day. Now, if you're a Christian, what that practically means is, you, when you, <clears throat> you, when you want to pray or think about coronavirus or load shedding, 
If it's causing something in your life and you feel you have to pray about it, you don't have to go and first find out which God do I pray to if I want to talk about the coronavirus. And which God do I pray to if I want to think about the weather? And which God do I pray to if I have a question about the exchange rate? If it's about my money, this is the God that I go to. If it's about my health, this is the God that I go to. Because you're a Christian, who do you talk to about everything in your life? One God. That's the difference between us and polytheistic religions. In a polytheistic religion like Hinduism, for instance, that has millions of gods, and I know we have people here that come from Hindu backgrounds. I just prayed for a gentleman. Comes from a Hindu background. One of the th deals that you had to do was to figure out which God must I now appease? Which God must I satisfy? Which God is miffed with me? Which God did my ancestors or me or somebody upset, and now we have to go and figure out how do we make that God happy? We met a, a guy once that and we were ministering in, in KwaZulu-Natal, Natasha and I, years and years ago, and we stayed in a guy's house who was a Christian, but he also came from a Hindu background. And, and part of the thing that caused him to come to faith is one day he was looking at Christian people that was working with him. And he looked at them, and he, th and he thought, man, it's much easier to be a Christian. <laughs> you don't have to try, keep all these gods happy. It's one God. And that was really part of the deal that made him think about becoming a Christian and eventually became a Christian. He said, I'm just too lazy to be a Hindu, man. It's just much easier <laughs> to be a Christian. Now, he came to more than that in faith. But aren't you glad? One God. One God. Our life is united. That everything that we experience, everything that we deal with, we come to one place with it. One God. There's a unifying factor in our lives. In our faith, Everything finds its place in one God. One God has the answer for every question that we have. That's the one and the all. All the challenges of my life, all the diversity that I experience, all the dynamics, all the different things that I, that I may struggle with or that I may have to deal with and find answers with, I come and I bring it all to one place. Just think about that. That is revolutionary. You are unlike any other people on this planet. That's why you are described as a peculiar people. Because nobody else has that privilege of simplicity. You come to one place. Even people that do not believe in gods. If they're trying to figure out, they have to go to different disciplines of science or different disciplines of philosophy to try and figure out and try and collect for themselves all the bits of truth that they can so that they can put a smorgasbord together and try and hold it all together to say, uh, perhaps in this I will find some answers to life. Can I tell you, we don't have some answers to life. We have the answer to life. One God. One God. Now that one God addresses all of those things in its diversity. But we are so privileged that everything comes together in one. I mean, just when I think about that, as I meditate about that, even in preparing this message, I want to jump up and down. I want to run around my house and shout hallelujah. Because the practical difference that makes to my life, that I have one God. My life is not spinning off into different disorganized disunity. 
I'm not trying to figure out how does this measure with this and how do I hold this in balance with this? Because I can bring it all to God. You see, if, 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 you, if your life is, doesn't have that point of unification, which is God, then the best you can do is to try and time manage and life balance and life manage your life. To say, I need a little bit of this, I need a little bit of this, I need a little bit of this, a little bit of this, and I'm trying to put it all together and trying to sort of hold it all in and, and say, how much can I, must I have of this? No, this is too much. And ooh, there's too little of this. And I'm trying to manage my life so that I have a complete life. Do you know that's not what we as Christians do? We go to one God. One God. That's why Jesus said these very important words in Matthew 6 verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Come to one place. Come to one point. From there, everything else will find its place. Everything else will find its order. Everything else will find its priority in your life from that one place. As Christians, we are the only people that have the real possibility of living ordered lives. Because we have one point that gives order to everything else. If you don't have Jesus, what is your one thing? I beg of you to tell me what is your one thing. Every Christian, when you ask them what is their one thing, should immediately say to you, Jesus. Or some derivative of that. It's to love Jesus. It's my one thing. That's why when they came to Jesus and they said, what are all the, these, we look at all these commands that the Jewish faith tells us to do. We look at all of this and it becomes impossible to do all of this. Lord, can you just, can you take some things off the list? Can you, can you make the list a bit more shorter? Can you make the list more doable for us so that we know we don't have to do all these millions of things? Perhaps it's only a thousand that we have to keep. And if we keep these, this thousand, then, then we'll be able to do life. Jesus said, no, I'll do you one better. I'll take it all away and give you one. Because there's only one that matters. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't two commands, it's one command. Depending on each other, flowing into each other, that's what we studied in 1 John 4. Remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, and he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Jesus didn't say to him, You've done well in all of these things. Just keep adding some more. Jesus said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come, follow me. The one thing he had to do was follow Jesus. The selling of the treasure was the, one, was the thing that was keeping him from doing the one thing. The one thing he needed was to follow Jesus. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. He had a lot of all in his life, and he couldn't think how life would be better if he took his all and brought it to one. He said, no, no, I can't do that. Remember when Jesus was with Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. I'm reading Luke 10, verse 38 to 42, for those who are wrestling on the radio. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. 
She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The Lord said to him, Martha, your life is in chaos. Your life is in disorganization and disunity because you do not have one point that you bring everything to. You're trying to manage it all. You're trying to figure out how do I do all of the right stuff so that I have a full and good life. The Lord said to him, forget it. You're not going to get it right. You've got to start with one place. And what was that one place that Mary chose? Right at the feet of Jesus. Saying, Lord, I want to see everything from your vantage point. I want to see things the way you see it. I want you to tell me what life looks like. So that I can have one thing. You see, at the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what that ritually led to was this dispersion of life. Up until that point, their life was united in God. Everything was made by God, for God, and in God. And they had perfect fellowship with God. Everything was in unity. But when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their life started doing this. Their life, they started losing control of their life because things started happening. And things started moving away from that one point of unity, which is God. The only one that is qualified to be the point of unity. Every other thing that we may put in its place, and, and we all strive towards unity. We, we're busy in this world with this, this great idea of the global village and of one mankind, and we're always striving. But can I tell you, nothing can bring us together. Only God is the only one qualified. He may use all of those other things, and he may, there's maybe truth in it, but ultimately it's only in God. It's only in God. It's why we can be in this room today, people from different races, different languages, different backgrounds, and we can look at each other and say, we have one Father in common. Just because I'm white doesn't mean I'm first. Just because you're black doesn't mean you're first. We have one Father. We are equal before Him. He made us all. We have one point of origin. There's no other truth that can unite the human race but that truth. We have one Father. One Father. That's the truth that makes all the practical difference. And Jesus was calling us to this truth. Now there's a saying in our culture, in, 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 in English, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's good advice for financial investments, for instance. If you're wanting to invest some money, save some money for your retirement or something, your financial planner will come and say, don't put your eggs in one basket. You know, diversify. How many of you know that that's financial advice that we've all gotten? I know there's financial advisors in the church that you've given. Diversify. Put some offshore, put some onshore, put some under the bed, put some in the closet, you know, put some in that bank. That's Natasha's saving plan, under the bed, in the closet. <laughs> diversify. And it makes really good sense. Why does it make good sense to do that with our money? Because there's no one basket that you can completely trust. 
There's no one bank. There's no one financial institution. There's no one investment scheme in this world that is foolproof, that you can completely trust and say, I can put all my money in that because they're going to give me the best interest and they've got no greed. They've got no systems that can be hacked or systems that can expose my privacy. I can trust them completely. How many of you know if there is such a financial system, if there was a financial institution in this world that offered you the best interest rate consistently, that was foolproof, it could never take your money, could never lose your money, that it couldn't be hacked, it was completely secure, you would be stupid not to put all your money in that investment scheme. Now, I'm not going to tell you about this investment scheme. Don't, some of you are getting nervous. The pastor is selling us on an investment scheme. He wants, I'll never do that. It's not a pastor's job to do that. I'm just using an example. If there was one basket that you could trust with all of your life, you would be stupid to diversify. Because if you diversify, what you're literally saying is, I've got one basket that's perfect. And if I put my life in this basket, this basket is going, it's good. Man, my life's going to go great. But I'm also going to put some in the basket that's not good. That's not great. That, that, that probably you know, is not going to give a return. It's not going to yield. But just because I want to divert. It would be stupid to do that. And that's what Jesus means about the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is the one basket that you put all your eggs in. You're stupid if you put your basket in any other eggs. Oh, your eggs in any other basket. <laughs> It was bound to happen. So these are the eggs. These are the eggs. So these are the eggs of my life. My money. Where do I put my money? Where do I trust my financial well-being to? Now God can use banks. God can use financial institutions. But can I trust them? Are they Jehovah Jireh, my provider? If this is the egg of my health, where do I put this egg? God can use doctors. God can use science, and he does. And we thank God for science and for doctors. But I can't trust them with my life as the same way I can trust God. If this is the egg of my family, where do I put this egg? If this is the egg of my occupation, my, my calling in life, where do I put this egg? You see, as a Christian, it's really simple for us. Seek first the kingdom of God. Thank you, Lord, that my egg of my finances I put in this one basket of your kingdom. Under your rulership. That's what the word kingdom means. The place where God rules. Where his will is being done. Thank you, Lord, that I want your will done in my finances. So I put it in your basket. Tell me what to do with my money, Lord. How to spend and live with my money. Lord, thank you for my health. That I can put this egg in your basket. Because you're the Jehovah, you, Jehovah Nisi. You're the one that heals me. Jesus died on the cross and by his stripes I am healed. You are the banner over me. I trust you, Lord. Thank you that I can go to the doctor, that I can use medicine. But ultimately, Lord, I, my trust is in you. Thank you for my family, Lord. I'm so thankful for my family. Thank you for my children's education. Thank you that I've got schools and great institutions that can educate my child, Lord, but ultimately, 
I put it in your basket because I trust you. I look to you for the growth and development of my children and your word and your truth. And so I can go on and on and on with all the areas of my life and say, I've got one basket. A Christian is this person that puts all their eggs in one basket because this basket is guaranteed. This basket will never fail you. This basket will never cause your eggs to be broken. You will not have a Humpty Dumpty story about putting your eggs in this basket. This basket, actually, if you plant your eggs in this basket, they will come out 30, 60, 100 fold. Because this basket is not magic, but this basket is the basket of life. Everything that lives and moves and has its being comes from this basket. There is no death in this basket. There is no hate in this basket. There is no brokenness in this basket. There is no sharp edges. There are no things in this basket that can damage or harm you. So you can trust this basket and put your eggs in this basket. And if you do, you will have life and life in abundance. But you have an enemy that comes and tries to lure you away to say, "Mm, I don't know if I can trust God with my money. I don't know if I can trust God and his principles of of slow and investment and discipline and, and, and giving and sowing and paying my tithe. I don't know if I can trust God with, with my money. So I'm not going to do him, his will. I'm going to put my money in some other place. I'm going to trust the world that they will cause this egg to grow. And the world's very excited because they want your egg. They want your money. And they'll make you lots of promises. And they will take your money. And you know what we do then as Christians when when our money is out there and we're trusting our our job or we're trusting our company or we're trusting some bank or we're trusting somebody and they fail us. Then we run to the Lord and we say, Lord, will you help me? Will you save me? Will you rescue me? And the Lord says, yes, I will. I want to save you. I want to rescue you. But I, and, and I can help you. And by my grace, I can do something for you in this situation. I almost, you almost thought I was going to be a magician and make the egg disappear. <laughs> and I can help you with this egg. But ultimately, this egg needs to go there. This is where my grace is. This is where my power is. This is where life is. If you keep your egg out there at some point, it's going to fail. And you can call on my grace and you can call on my kindness. But if you keep choosing to keep your egg out there, I can't save this egg. You've got to love the Lord with all your heart. Every emotion, every intention, all your mind, all your thinking must come from this place. All your strength. Does it mean that as Christians we don't put our money in banks? No, no, that's not what I'm saying at all. Please don't understand, hear me saying that. Those are secondary issues. The first thing we do is, Lord, we seek you first. We put everything here. And I'd love to tell you this morning that you can live your life like an Easter egg hunt and have your eggs all over the place. It doesn't matter. Just do what you want. Just live your life any way you want. There's one for you, Mika. You can have that. You can live your life any way you want. 
God is good. God loves you. God will take care of you. Don't worry about it. God's got your back. And even when you sleep, you know, he's working as we sang this morning. It's okay. Don't worry about it. But I'd be lying if I told you that. Because I would be ignoring the first command. Love the, the, the one command. Love the Lord your God with all. So the journey of a disciple is to say, Lord, thank you for showing me that I need to put this in the basket. I trust you with this. Thank you, Lord, that I recognize that this in my life, I've not surrendered to you. I've not yielded to you. I put it there. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't give up on me despite my rebellion in this area and despite thinking that I can do better than you, that you kept pursuing me by your spirit and I can put this here. Thank you, Lord. Now, that one's too far. It's lost. But you get the picture. Worship team, you guys can join me. This is the journey of our lives. This is the commitment. This is the covenant of the Holy Spirit with us. That he helps each of us to consistently do this, to bring all to the one place. Because the moment you've done all in the one, life takes on a godly kingdom order. God starts putting things in order, setting things in your life. It may be painful. It may be unusual. It may be hard to describe at times what God's doing. But he is reorganizing so that life, Jesus said, and life in abundance can happen. But it takes the step of faith. And the greatest step of faith you will ever do and I will ever do is to say, Lord, I surrender this to you. I trust you. I trust you. Will you stand with me? It's possible this morning. I'm not saying it's definitely the case. It's possible that you may be experiencing in your life, in in one area or some areas of your life, that things are just, it's a repetitive pattern of chaos. A repetitive pattern of things just not getting sorted out. Things just, you feel like you're getting through, but you're you're just never quite getting through. Can I propose to you that to pray about, Lord, perhaps I've never put that in the basket. Perhaps I've never really said, Lord, I give this over to you. And you know, we, we, we like to say, when I give something over to the Lord, I surrender But can I tell you, you're doing a transaction that at the end of the day is not a surrender. It's a wise investment. Because God takes this and he says, you will receive far more than what you gave me if you trust me with it. So it's not a surrender actually. It's just wisdom. It's being clever. Can I invite you this morning? Can we take a moment just in our worship And as we sing a song, I'd like you to to just say, Lord, have I put all my eggs in the one basket? Because it's that that separates us from the rest of this world and its beginning. If we can't do that, then we're just like everybody else. It's that that makes us different as Christians, that makes our light to shine in this world, that gives us the strength that no matter what shakes the world, we have all our eggs in a basket that says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. The unshakable kingdom of an unshaking God. Let's pray and let's just worship. Father, as we, as we sing a song,
as a spiritual response and as a natural response, as a response of our lives, and we just say, Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. Help me discern in my life if there's one area or two areas or more areas or perhaps the totality of my life that I need to surrender, that I need to bring to you, that I need to put in the basket and say, I trust you, Lord. Just speak to us, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are present with every person here. This is not about a law. This is about a life in the Spirit. We want to surrender to you, Lord. Just ask the Holy Spirit, show me, Lord. Show me that egg that I've kept out. And you see yourself just taking that egg that the Lord is showing you or your life, however you want to see it. That's just my illustration. And can you see yourself saying, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. You deserve my trust. Forgive me, Lord, for finding it so hard to trust you sometimes. Forgive me for thinking, Lord, that I can do better than you can. Or that somebody else can do better than you can. Forgive me, Lord. You're the one God. And thank you that I know you. And that you are for me, not against me. I can trust you. And then can, can you see yourself by faith? This is an act of tremendous faith. And every one of us has received the gift of faith, enough faith to do this. And see yourself taking that egg and putting it in the basket and saying, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. And then to say, Lord, now, how must I live out my trust for you? What does that mean? What do I practically have to do as a result of the fact that I trust you? Trust is not a passive thing. Surrender is a very active, it's not a passive thing. It's not giving it to God and walking away and saying, now it's God's problem. It's giving it to God and then saying, Lord, now how do I live that trust out? How do I operate in that trust? Because I can't put my children in God's hands and walk away and say, now they're God's problem. No, no, he gave them to me. He says they're my problem. But I can't do it without him. I need to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the journey of a disciple of a surrendered life every day. Not my will, but your will be done. Let your kingdom come in my house as it is in heaven. Let your rulership be established in my money, in my health. That's what I desire, Lord. So can you see yourself just putting that egg in that basket? Lord, I thank you for every person that you love in this place, every person that you have called your own. That is your beloved son and daughter. I pray for us as a community. I pray for us, Lord, that our faith will arise in these times. That we would live these lives of unity, of order, of, dare I say, simplicity. Because it all comes together in you. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. And let us recognize we can't love you with some of our heart some of our mind, some of our might. That's not love at all. It's all or nothing. Because you're an all or nothing God. Let us love you with all. I pray for you that as you go into this week, as you go and be a light to this world and be the salt of the earth, that you will live a life of unity, 
A life that is founded upon the rock that is Jesus. A life that displays that you're not frantically trying to figure out life, but you're living at the feet of Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and give you peace.